my favorite chapter in the book of Daniel, chapter uh, 4. While you are turning there, we are in the last of the major uh, prophets, the shortest of the major prophets. Uh, the, The previous three major prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, took us an extremely long time Uh, to go through Daniel's only 12 chapters, so it'll be a little bit quicker. In fact, as we uh, left the book of Ezekiel, it took us about six months to get through each of those previous uh, books. Now we're going to be in a lot shorter books. We're going into the the minor uh, prophets, and, and so again, uh, you know, if you miss a week, it's it's not like missing a week in the major prophets. There's there's a lot of information in each and every single one of these uh, chapters, and especially as we're here now in chapter four of Daniel. I'm going to read the first four verses. We'll um, pray and get into this. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation, and language throughout the world. Uh, Peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how powerful his wonders, his kingdom will last forever, his rule through all generations. I... Nebuchadnezzar was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. So, Father, as we approach your throne, uh, we get to look at um, this Gentile, this king, who at this time uh, literally owned the world, the known world at this time. He had everything he could ever ask for. He had conquered all the nations around him, and And now he's surveying his great wealth. We may not be, you know, living in a palace or anything like that. But Lord, we too look at our kingdoms, however big or small they may be. And we can have the same attitude as Nebuchadnezzar. Please forgive us. Help us to look into the life of, of this man, how you truly transformed his life. Not when he was looking at his stuff or the things that he owned, but when he looked up, as we all have to do. So Lord, please forgive us when we look down at the grass, when we look down at the ground, when we look at our own things, our own works, our own prosperity, our own whatever it may be, our accomplishments. Lord, help us to be humbled as Nebuchadnezzar will be. And to lift our eyes up to the one who uh, gives us all things, who gives us the very breath that we breathe. Uh, Help us to have that humility that can only come from you, that peace that can only come from you, that desire to, to grow closer to the one who gave us his only begotten son. So Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege that we have to gather here tonight. I ask you speak. Um, clearly to us that you would give us your wisdom tonight. Thank you so much for these, my family, my friends gathered here tonight, those that are watching online. Use us for your glory in Jesus' name we pray. Uh, Amen. Amen. This is one of those chapters, and again, you know, the uh, for the most part, the book of Daniel is written in a different language than the rest of the Old Testament. Most of the Old Testament is uh, you all know, is written in Hebrew, in the original language that the Jews used to speak, but now they're in a foreign country. Daniel, having gone through the uh, the college, the university system in Babylon, and, and with very, very high marks, if you will, uh, has already gone three different times to uh, the king. He has interpreted dreams. He has done multiple miracles before the king. Last week, we learned about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Azariah, and Misael, who went through the fiery furnace. And those three men that you know not only uh, went through this fire, but after every single one of these events, Nebuchadnezzar's heart says, I want to worship your God. 
In fact, at the very end of chapter 2, he said, I want to worship uh, Belshazzar's God, Daniel's God. I want to worship Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. But there's a difference in wanting to worship someone else's God and actually having a transformation in your own life and making God your God. You see, it's easy to listen to someone else's testimony and say, I, I want that. Or, or another person's experiences and say, I, I want that in my life. But to know that God has something special for you, a testimony for you, a witness for you, a, a personal experience for you uh, to go through. In fact, this is the only chapter in the, in the entire Bible that is written, or excuse me, in the entire Old Testament that is written by a Gentile. In fact, who is the one writing this chapter? It is not Daniel. Who is the one writing this chapter? It says there in verse 4. It says there in verse 1. It says it in verse 34. It says it in verse 37. Who wrote this chapter? I, Nebuchadnezzar, personal pronoun, he himself is writing this chapter. And it's included in Daniel because it is the personal testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. What God did in his life to transform him. And where is he at at this time, by the way? says it there at the end of verse 4, I was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. Wow. It's the American, it's the Babylonian dream, right? The American dream where, where we, we, we want, you know, this comfort, this prosperity. It's unfortunately what many Christian churches or so-called Christian churches teach. It's that, you know, God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. In Jesus' name, you got to do it. Right? Because I, I told you to. Nebuchadnezzar, he's living in the palace in comfort and prosperity. He's looking on the horizontal plane at all that he has accomplished. He's conquered every single kingdom in the known world at this time. He's conquered the previous empire, the Assyrians. He's conquered the Israelites. He's conquered all the various nations around uh, the Israelites, the Ammonites and the Moabites, the Edomites. But one night he has a dream, just like in chapter 2, verse 5. One night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. <clears throat> He's living in a palace in comfort and prosperity. And what invades his dreams? Something that terrifies him. You can be the wealthiest person on the planet and not get any sleep. You can be the wealthiest person on the planet and get sick and not have a cure for that sickness. Billions and bill trillions and trillions of dollars are spent on medicine, right? The, the sleep industry is literally billions and billions of dollars because people want a good night's sleep. Whether they self-medicate or whether they get, you know, certain things, you know, go to certain places to get a good night's sleep. What is this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has that terrified him? <clears throat> so I issued an order calling on all the wise men of Babylon. We, we just read that two weeks ago. This, this is the exact same thing that happened two weeks ago, right? He had a dream, remember? Was he able to remember the dream? He, at least he's going to re remember this dream. He had the notebook, he wrote it down, you know, that kind of thing. But, but you understand uh, what is happening here. The same thing that happened in chapter 2. Who does he call upon to help him with the dream? <clears throat> the wise men, right? All those wise men that were supposed to be, you know, smarter than Nebuchadnezzar, be able to interpret the dream, even be able to tell uh, the dream. All these people with these titles... 
Look at what it says there in verse 6. So I issued an order calling in all the wise men of Babylon so they could tell me what the dream meant. When all the magicians and enchanters and astrologers and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream, but they could not tell me what it meant. Remember in the previous chapter, chapter 2, uh, at least, you know, they were asking, you know, what, what is the dream? And Nebuchadnezzar said, if you don't tell me the dream and the interpretation, you're all going to die. Okay, he's learned the lesson since then. He actually tells uh, the dream. But look at these titles here. Just like previously, these are magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers. But were they able to tell the meaning of the dream, even with all these titles, even with all these, you know, uh, quote-unquote special abilities? Are they able to tell the meaning of the dream? It tells us right there at the end of verse 7, were they able to tell the meaning of the dream? No. Until who walks in, verse 8, at last Daniel came in, before me again this is the perspective of Nebuchadnezzar who is viewing this story it's not from Daniel's perspective like it was in chapter 2 whose perspective is this from I saw Daniel walk in it's from the perspective of Nebuchadnezzar it's his testimony it's his story what does he say I told him the dream and he was named you know Belteshazzar after my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Remember, every single one of the captives have been renamed as a not, not only from their previous Hebrew names, but their name that is given to them in the Babylonian tongue is a ode to or respect to the gods of uh, Babylon. Bel being one of those gods, the first three letters of Belteshazzar. I said to him, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream uh, means. This is one of those very personal stories. I don't know if you've ever told a dream to someone or a, a hope or a wish or, or something that you yourself were, were dreaming for. What does it mean when you tell an intimate dream to somebody else? What does that mean about that person? Would you just, you know, maybe you do, I don't know, but probably not, hopefully not. You just don't tell a dream to someone off the street, right? Normally, you tell someone that you trust, right? Normally you tell someone a dream that you trust them with, or, or maybe you're trying to, you know, uh, get some sort of a, a meaning from it. You're, you're, you're asking them for their input. In fact, this is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar is doing in this story. He's telling his most intimate of dreams. He's telling uh, what he has uh, dreamed. And remember in the previous chapter, chapter 3, his dream actually manifested itself. He actually built the previous dream. What did he build there on uh, the plain out in the middle so that everyone could see? A 90 foot tall statue made out of gold. Similar to what he has seen in his dream in chapter 2. Verse 10. While I was lying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves. It was, it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and, and birds nested in its branches. And all the world was fed from this tree. 
And I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. And by the way, we don't have to interpret this dream. We're going to get the interpretation later. Those of you that have read this chapter every single week this week or every single day this week, you have heard the interpretation of this dream. But what does Nebuchadnezzar see in his dream? He sees this massive tree. And this massive tree can be seen by everyone on uh, the planet. Everyone goes to this tree for nourishment. Everyone goes to this tree for shade. Everyone goes to this tree uh, for protection. Everyone goes to this tree for its fruit. In verse 14, the messenger shouted, cut down the tree, lop off its branches, shake off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches. I don't know if you had a big tree growing up. I remember we had a big tree in my backyard in Fontana, California. It was a big tree. I don't know what kind of tree it was, but it was a big tree. And my dad built a fort around it. And it was the most amazing thing. Because everybody in the neighborhood would come to our house and play in our fort. Because it was next on this tree. It was cool. It was the most amazing thing, right? But what happens if you were to go back to that same house where you grew up or, or same place where you used to grow up and the tree was cut down, what would it do to your heart? I know. It's horrible. That thing that had taken literally decades to grow is now cut to the ground. This is this, what we see here in this vision. Nebuchadnezzar is disturbed by this dream, by the way. Remember, he's terrified of this dream. He is scared of this dream, even though he doesn't know the meaning of this dream yet. And he's scared of it. The tree's about ready to get lopped down, torn down, cut down the branches lopped off uh, the fruit scattered all the animals that live under this tree are about ready to be scattered verse 15 but leave the stump and the roots in the ground bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. No longer is it an inanimate object. Now it is referring to this stump or the last part of this tree as a hymn. That gives us our first clue, by the way. Who is this tree? Yeah, the person who's dreaming the dream. And probably in his innermost being, he understands that. He just doesn't understand all of it. But what's going to happen to that stump? He's going to be drenched with the dew of heaven. He's going to have to live with the wild animals among the plants of the field for seven periods of time. Let him have the mind of a wild animal. Again, the you know second person pronoun, him. Mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. For this has been decreed by the messengers that is commanded by the Holy One. So that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Remember, how did Nebuchadnezzar get into this place in the first place? How did he get here? Who was the one that actually gave him all of the other nations? Who was the one that put him in this position in the first place? Remember in Jeremiah, every single reference to the nation of Babylon, I will be the one that brings Babylon to conquer Israel. I will be the one that brings uh, Nebuchadnezzar to conquer Jerusalem. It is God who put him in this position in the first place. 
It is God who has given him uh, this majestic, amazing kingdom. It is God who gave him the palace. It is God who gave him the comfort and the prosperity. Who was the one that put Nebuchadnezzar in the position he is in now? It's God. I love this part. You see the heart of Daniel. You see the closeness between Daniel and his king. You see the closeness between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. You see, you see the heart of a, of a prophet that has to speak the truth to a friend and it breaks his heart. But he knows he has to speak the truth. Look what it says there in verses 18 and 19. It says, uh, Belteshazzar, that was the dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, now tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can do so, but you can tell me because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time. Frightened by the meaning of the dream. I, I, I love what it says in the um, uh, Living Standard uh, Version. It's one of those uh, things where you can, can see the, um, the, the heart of, of Daniel, if you will. It says in verse 19, then, then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts were alarmed. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. I wish it was for your enemies, this interpretation. I, I wish it was for your worst enemies. But that's not what it means. The truth is that it's for you. You're the tree. You're the one that's going to um, act like an animal. You're the one that's going to be humbled. But do you, do you see the heart of Daniel in having to tell his friend? Not, not, not his king, his friend. And how it breaks his own heart. Have you ever had to tell the truth to someone that you love? God, why don't you choose someone else to tell them? Why, why did God choose you to tell the truth to someone? Because he's going to work in your love for that person. In a, in a deep way. Hopefully they'll repent before this happens. Hopefully they'll actually change their ways before God brings the consequences onto them. But even deeper than that, even between a, a human and a human, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, or you to a friend, it goes even deeper between God and us, right? Because does God love us more than any person? And thank God we have the scriptures. Thank God we have, we have prayer. But does God love us enough to tell us the truth? Does God love us enough to reach out to us when we're at our lowest? As we're going to see happens to Nebuchadnezzar. In the NLT, it says there in the last part of chapter 19, Belteshazzar replied, and this is Daniel, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream, what happened to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. The tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reached high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves. It was, it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and, and birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown great and strong. Your greatness reaches up to the heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. You are at the pinnacle of your power. And at this time, Babylon was, and Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. And where is he at looking over this majestic kingdom in his palace? 
I don't know if you were awake during the times when your history teacher taught about Babylon or not, but one of the seven wonders of the world was in Babylon, right? Yeah, these beautiful gardens, these majestic libraries, all this wealth and prosperity, this knowledge. In fact, you know, Daniel and his three friends, they, they had the privilege of going through the university system at this time. Babylon was at the peak of its prosperity. Daniel has to tell his friend, I wish it wasn't so, I wish it wasn't so. But that tree is you. Verse 23, then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. Verse 24, this is what the dream means. By, by the way, every single time we see Daniel interpret a dream, we, we see no cryptic language. There, there, he very plainly tells the, the dream, right? Remember the, the other guy who used to interpret dreams a, a, you know, approximately a thousand years before, a guy by the name of Joseph, right? Uh, the one who interpreted the dreams of those that were in the prison cell uh, with him, right? Uh, remember, he saw the, the, the famine and the, you know, the, the prosperity of Egypt and the famine uh, that was coming. And then he was raised to be able to help out Egypt. This is the opposite. What is going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar? He's going to be brought down. He's going to be taken from that pinnacle of his authority and wealth and power. And what is he going to become? A crazy person eating grass. He tells us there, by the way, verse 24, this is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord, uh, the King. By the way, that's a, a definite will. It's not a maybe, but this will happen. God had shown him the dream. This is going to happen. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. You will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Wow. The authority of God, but also the foreknowledge of God. And, and you know, we, we, you know, theologians and even denominations break off on all these uh, various theological trees and, and families and groupings. And, and, and does God choose things for us or, or do we choose uh, what we're going to be doing? Or, or am I just a puppet here on the world? And, and God is the one that pulls the strings. Did God know to the exact day when Nebuchadnezzar would look up? And he showed it to him in a dream. And, and you know, like us, we could have said, well, why didn't he look up on day one? He knew the answer. Why didn't he wake up on, you know, week one and, and look up right then? As we see with even us, we have hard hearts and stiff necks. In fact, this isn't going to happen for another year. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to forget the dream, just like many of us. Or just like many of us, someone warns you, if you go down this path, this is what's going to happen. And what do we do? We go down the path, and guess what happens? Exactly what they told us. We, do we have free will to get off that path? But do we do it? The warning, of course, is in the Scriptures. 
The book of Proverbs is, is ripe with all the, the warnings, especially for those that are going through difficult times. The answers are all here, but do we always look? No. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, we have pride in our heart. We have pride in who we are and what we've done. Tells us there exactly to the period of time, seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. In fact, this was the whole point of chapter two. Who was the gold head at this time? It was Nebuchadnezzar, pinnacle, value, gold, beauty. And then uh, after him were the Greeks nation, and God has already chosen at this time, the Greeks are going to come into power. And then, uh, or, excuse me, the, 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 the Persians will come into power. And then the Greeks, and then the Romans, later on, that feet of iron and clay. But do people listen? Unfortunately, just like Nebuchadnezzar, many, many times we don't. Verse 27, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. What does Daniel tell him? This is the answer. All you have to do is repent right now and this isn't going to happen. All you got to do is repent right now and it will not happen. But what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He's in prosperity comfort right now. He's living in a palace. Why would I need to repent? Why would I need to change my ways? I'm at the pinnacle of everything. I'll just push God's patience to its brink. I'll just wait for my deathbed to ask Jesus Christ into my heart. I'll just wait as long as possible. I'll live my life the way that I want to live it. As long as possible. And I know many of your stories. I have the privilege of, you know, the, the men on Monday nights were, were going through the book of Revelation where we get to hear a, a different man's testimony. And, and the privilege actually reading Daniel chapter 4 is you get to hear the testimony, the conversion story of the most powerful man on the planet at this time. Because it's no longer going to be Daniel's God. It's no longer going to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. Something's going to happen in Nebuchadnezzar's life that's going to make it very, very personal. This is the way that God wants it for all of us, by the way. But Daniel, he's pleading with his king. He's pleading with his friends. Stop sinning. Do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Verse 28, but all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was walking or taking a walk on a flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon by my own mighty power. Wow. And we look at him and say, he is proud. He is on a high horse. And we forget to look in the mirror. <clears throat> it's so easy to see the pride in another person. And it's so not easy or blinding of ourselves to see it in our own life. Because all of us can be just as proud as Nebuchadnezzar. We may not live in a palace, but we can be just as proud. And we can look at our, you know, whatever kingdom we have and say, I did this by my own power. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps, right? <clears throat> look how, look how immediate this is. Look how, look how instantaneous this is. I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. 
And while these words were still in his mouth, before he even got the words out of his mouth, what happens to him? Voice called from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live in this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. What is going to happen to the most powerful person on the planet? He's going to be like an animal eating grass. He's going to be brought down to the lowest of standards where even his mind is gone now. His own faculties are gone. Can you imagine that? And, you know, I don't know your situation. I, I, I you know, whether it's the scriptures or, or whatever it is, we, we have examples from um, the Bible. But of all of us have come to a certain situation in our life where we have to make a decision. Maybe it's been in your past or maybe it's going to happen this week or, you know, next month or later on in your life. I don't know when it's going to be. Where you're going to have to make a decision. Whether to look down or to look up. Whether to look at the things that you have or the one who gave you those things. Whether to look at, you know, your own might and power or look to the one who gives you the very breath that you breathe. I don't know if it's going to happen when you're on top of the mountain or when you're in the lowest parts of your life. But I do know the answer to every single one of those questions. Where do we look? Who do we look to? But by the way, he's already been given the answer. All you have to do is repent. All you have to do is look up, okay? All you have to do, do is look up, okay? In Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, this is in the, the New King James Version. We kind of have a clue to how long this is going to take place, okay? So it, all it says is seven periods of time, right? It, it's going to be seven periods of time. We're going to find out that his hair is going to grow really, really long. His nails are going to grow out, uh, you know, very, very long as well. This isn't just seven days, okay? This isn't just seven weeks. It's not just seven months. And it says that there in Daniel chapter 7, uh, he will speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, shall intend to change times and laws. Then the saints will be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. And those of you that study prophecy know what this represents. This is the three and a half years, the first part of the tribulation time period. Three years, three and a half years. A, a time represents a year. And so... Going back now to chapter 4, we see that this is approximately seven years that he is experiencing this insanity. Eating grass like a cow. Can you imagine a king having to go through that? So much so that he's chased from human society. And God had warned him, by the way. It tells us there in verse 33, and again, this is from the perspective of Nebuchadnezzar. Everything that we see here is from the perspective of Nebuchadnezzar, okay? This isn't someone watching him. This is Nebuchadnezzar after he comes out of uh, this experience, writing down what he went through. And, and this is the privilege that we have, you know, and, and thank God that you know, as we've been going through the book of Daniel, you have the privilege of writing down these things. 
Daniel writes down the interpretations. Daniel write da writes down the dreams. Nebuchadnezzar learned to do so as well. Verse 33, that same hour, the judgment was fulfilled when the words were in his mouth and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow. He was drenched with the dew of the heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers. His nails were like birds claws I, I don't know what you do with your fingers if you you know or nails if you clip them or if you bite them or if you peel them or whatever I don't know how you do it but can you imagine uh, being so out of it so insane that your hair uh, grows out unkept not combed Okay, not just long hair, but unkept hair, and then your nails growing out long like an animal, or a, as it says here, a bird. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, again, from the perspective of Nebuchadnezzar, what does he do? Looked up to heaven. Now it becomes personal, right? It's no longer Daniel's God. It's no longer Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. Who is the one that does looking? Who is the one that looks up? I, Nebuchadnezzar. And again, this is the third time we've seen this. This is from the personal perspective of Nebuchadnezzar writing this down. His own personal testimony wow and again every single testimony is unique every single person's experiences are unique but they always result or always have the same results it always looks up to god understanding who is the one that can change our life he looks up, what does it say? My sanity returned. Going from the mind of an animal eating grass, hair unkempt and long, nails growing out, and finally he looks up. Why didn't he do it on day one? Why didn't he do it on week one? Why didn't he do it on month one? Just like many of us. Well, I can just go a little bit longer. I'll, I'll just wait a little bit longer. I, I, I can, you know, enjoy this. I, I know when to stop, right? It's easy to tell someone else, you know, all you got to do is look up and repent. But it's hard for us to do it ourselves many times. It's easy to see the insanity in the other person, but hard to see it in our own life. My sanity returned and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. I love this verse. Because he's not saying like he does in chapter 2 and chapter 3, I, I worship Daniel's God or I, I worship Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. I worshiped God. It was personal this time. And he had seen miracles. He, he had seen Daniel interpret a dream and even tell him a dream that he himself couldn't remember. He had seen those three men walk through the fire and come out with not even a trace of smoke on them. Just their bounds had been burned off and everything else was perfect about them. He saw the fourth man in the fire, who by the way is still there for us, right? Love this. By, by the way, this is uh, verse 35 is one of those, uh, probably like the third verse that I ever memorized in the entire Bible. I love this verse, this set of verses. It's in, it's in a, a poetic form. It's probably in a, a different, you know, uh, uh, type in your Bible or a different format in your Bible. It is like a, a, a you know, a psalm or a proverb. 
It's meant to evoke uh, not only the sovereignty of who God is, but the understanding that this king who was once thinking of himself as I am the one that did all this, now understanding who put him in that place and worshiping the one who is over all. His rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. By the way, has any king, president, governor ever had a kingdom that lasted that long? No, right? Even Babylon at this time, they'd only been in, a, in power for approximately 70 years. At, at this time, they're going to be for another probably 30 or so more years after this event. But even for them, being the world power at this time... Uh, they themselves hadn't been in power for very long compared to eternity. Those of you that know people that have been alive for a hundred years, that's just a, a super tiny microscopic dot in, in terms of eternity, right? What else? Verse 35, all the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? This is exactly what the conclusion of Job, by the way. Just put your hand on your mouth. There's a microphone right here. I can't do that. Okay. Like that. They're going to get mad at me by back there. Uh, but, but he put his hand on his mouth, right? To stop the words, where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I created the majestic animals that are on the planet? Where were you? When we understand who we are, our, you know, finiteness, and again, by the way, this is the most powerful man on the planet. And he is nothing compared to God. By the way, God thinks of the nothings. God thinks of us. Thank God that he does. Just like he does with Nebuchadnezzar. But compared to God, who are we? Nothing. Just, just a microscopic dot. In all of eternity. And yet this majestic God thinks of us. Verse 36, when my sanity returned to me, again, a, a personal pronoun, he himself writing this down, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored as the head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. When was his sanity restored? When he looked up. When he looked up. And again, I don't know your situation. I don't know what you're going through right now. But I, I do know the one that we're supposed to look to. And just like Nebuchadnezzar understanding this, he is the sovereign God. He is the one who is over all. He deserves all glory, honor, and power. It is him that gives us everything that we have. It is him that gives us the very breath of who we are. Verse 37, now I, by the way, this is the, the signing off, the signature, if you will, Again, this chapter from the very first verse all the way to the end, I, Nebuchadnezzar, writing this down, not in Hebrew, but in Aramaic, writing this uh, down in his own uh, pen, praise and glorify and honor the King of Heaven, who now is his God. Who now is the God of Nebuchadnezzar? No longer Daniel's God. No, no longer Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. It, it, it's... It's Nebuchadnezzar's God. He himself now has a personal relationship with the God of the universe. And unfortunately, it just took him eating grass to figure it out. 
<clears throat> I, don't, I don't know what your life is like, but maybe you're eating grass right now. Maybe you're smoking grass right now. I don't know. <laughs> See, you knew I was going to go there. I don't know. Where are you supposed to look up? Look up to the God of heaven. All his acts are just and true. He is able to humble the proud. By the way, who is God looking for? Humble people. Humble people. Look up. Next week we're going to be in, in Daniel uh, chapter 5 and we're going to see, you know, a, a different experience. A guy who does not repent, by the way. Um, read read the, the next two chapters, you know, and you can alternate them. Chapter 5 and then chapter 6. Chapter 5 and then chapter 6. Uh, th this is going to be, uh, again, one of those Sunday school stories. You probably read it many, many times, heard it many times, maybe even taught it many, many times. Uh, but, but you're going to see the contrast now between the, the legacy that uh, Nebuchadnezzar has, his grandson now, and, and how the grandson now reacts to the authority of God and what that is like. And so for us today, what is the application? I hope we don't come into this room and, and you know, I heard a, a, you know, a story or I, or I, you know, had a Bible study or whatever it is, and you just go out and go about your day. It, we have to actually apply this. Not, not go out and say, oh, you have this problem, you have this problem, it, it's your pride, it, it's your fault, it's your, you know, sin that's causing this. No, I have to look at myself, right? We all have to look at ourselves. I, I have to see the pride in my own heart. I have to look at the own, my own sin and I have to say, Lord, reveal these things to me. I need to look up myself. Because anyone else do it for me? No. No one can. Only I can look up. Daniel couldn't make uh, Nebuchadnezzar look up. No one else could make him look up. Only he could look up. And so I, I pray that your testimony would be seen in this. That, that you would have that desire to not only be you know, brought down by God. But also to be raised up by God. Because who's the only one that can lift up the humble? It's only God. And thank God that he does, by the way. And so, Father, tonight as we approach your amazing throne, I thank you for this chapter that is pivotal to the book of Daniel because we see a king, a, a Gentile king that is loved by a, a Jewish man And you personally working in this Gentile king's life to transform him. Just like many of us here that are Gentiles, we're not Jewish, we're, we're not, you know, from the tribe of Israel or anything. But yeah, you still uh, send your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. So, Lord, help us look up to the cross. Help us to look up to you. Help us to look up to the one that can save us. We understand that whatever consequences that we're going through, maybe those have driven us to this place tonight. Maybe those consequences have driven us to a church for some reason because um, we don't know where else to turn or whatever it may be. But to know that you have the answers for us. And so, Lord, tonight I ask that you would speak clearly to our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would have free reign among us, that you would help us to see and the pride in our hearts. That we would repent and come to you. Tonight. Now. Before we have to wait seven years eating grass. So Lord help us to focus upon you. Lord change our hearts. So Lord I thank you so much for your word. The power of it to change life. I ask that you would use us for your glory. That we would glorify you with our very being. I thank you so much. 
for these my friends and my family gathered in tonight, and I ask that you would bless them. Bless them mightily. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.